0: Oh, fires down.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotovis Overtime on Rotovis Radio brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland and I'm joined by Sean Siegel as always here on the show and make sure as well you'll be checking out Sean with the Stadium Bananas podcast. It'll be a little bit later than the normal Wednesday release time that we've had over the, the summer but it is coming. People are eager for the information with you and Ben Gretsch. Ben dropped his Stadium Signals for week one over the last couple of hours as we record this. Hopefully people are busy checking that out but if you're listening in Sean we had a lot of positive feedback to the week one instant reaction show so that may be something that we have to continue lots of very very good feedback and we always appreciate people reaching out but that was something that uh yeah we kind of done in the spur of the moment and (laughs) it turned out to be pretty good so we are going to talk about mainly players that we didn't talk about in that show in the instant reaction segment but we will be talking today about the top 10 running backs rest of season some of the risers and fallers outside of to that top 10 this is a piece that sean had up on the website early on monday so this should be a fun one to recap through. but sean week one is in the books i mentioned people i was actually getting pep talks from listeners saying you know week one it may have been bad but hopefully week two will be good for you and the packers will be okay there was a lot of positive vibes being sent out so i felt much better after talking to you earlier this week so uh, i'm hoping now that it's a case that it's all smooth sailing for these next kind of
2: 17 weeks or so for for my fantasy teams yeah that's awesome the road overtime community has been absolutely fantastic we really enjoyed the chance to interact with everybody doing the contest those two contest teams were a lot of fun to draft i think that the winners of that not only did they draft great teams but were they were great luck right one of the two teams we drafted is a Saquon Barkley DeAndre Swift team obviously that team looks like it could be very good the other team is a Barkley Mark Andrews team where AJ Brown fell to us in the third round and if you watch week 1 and you have AJ Brown in the third round and I, i'm obviously with Barkley and Andrews it's you know mid to late third you just feel like christmas came really early right so that team not surprisingly one week one is off to a great start looks like it could be in competition for the whole thing so the best thing for this contest well i mean obviously it'd be fun for us individually but if the winners of that contest and the teams drafted out of that contest end up i mean obviously if it won the whole thing that would be great but end up in the top 10 something like that and we get down to the final week 17 that would be so much fun it's hard to be more excited for teams than those barclay swift teams after week one speaking of the contest column just wanted to mention again the five winners of sort of the additional prize of the one month subscription to RotoViz. there were so many good entries we didn't just want to stop with the two draft winners antonio gibson truther chandler wagner dbk paul farley tractastic those entries came in in a lot of different formats, and we appreciate that you all had us covered in so many different ways. Also, another just little note about how cool the Rotoviz Overtime community is. Chandler reached out, said that he's a subscriber, has, and always will be. He doesn't need the one month subscription. If he wanted to gift it to someone who he felt like is an up and coming fantasy player and someone who would really enjoy that subscription. So Chandler, we really thank you for that. That's such a cool gesture. I, yeah, I mean, this has been so much fun. And, and column week one was an absolute blast, both in the good things and in the bad things. Obviously, if you're a Travis EtN drafter, the fact that James Robinson looks to be the rare back who has recovered quickly from an Achilles injury. I mean, the contrast between how he looked and how Cam Akers looked last season and then obviously again in week one i mean this isn't good for me i don't have james robinson and i do have travis etn Etienne, Etienne I, it, our ship chasing our chasing stolen bananas team that i drafted with the guys lost in a close low scoring game and especially when the games are low scoring you're like man we, we really should be able to pull that out we did have travis Etienne in the lineup This was one of the games that was very low on my priority list, so I just actually finished having a chance to watch it on the shortcuts version this morning. You see that game, and you see Travis Etienne get wide open in the end zone only for Trevor Lawrence to not just overthrow him, but miss him by like a half a mile. Uh, And then later on a fourth-end goal, like they combined to do a similar thing where Etienne is wide open. Lawrence throws a very poor pass. Where he has to reach all the way up for it. Still very catchable, though. An NFL running back, especially one of ETN's ability, has to catch that and jog into the end zone. He drops that one. So if you have ETN right now, you could have scored a lot more points. A little bit frustrating. The main problem there, though, is just James Robinson. Before he was injured, James Robinson was a top six or seven back in the NFL, right? The fact that he (laughs) didn't have the draft status of some of these other guys is irrelevant after you have watched him play for several years. That guy is unbelievable for him to come out in week one and look that good. I just think it's a fantastic story. It's going to be very bad for me in fantasy, but it's so cool to see him doing that. I, I just think you have to be excited for him as a person, as a football player. You've got to be excited for the Jaguars. They have a one-two punch now that probably is the best in the NFL the Cleveland Browns are going to have a little bit of probably pushback against that one, but man, you have Robinson and ETN out there. You look very good. Otherwise the Jaguars look like the Jaguars. Colin, I was so excited about week one that I, I did just go on a nice five minute ramble there, but yeah, I mean, this is great. And we haven't even gotten to last night where Ben Seahawks pull up the big upset. Russell Wilson looked terrible, which I think, Probably some Seahawks fans liked, maybe some other NFL fans liked. As a Kansas City Chiefs fan, that game was was very good for me. If you had Cortland Sutton and Russell Wilson was, I mean, not necessarily missing him wide open, but you've got all of these one-on-one matchups where Sutton is deep with one guy and the balls are just not catchable. They're not thrown up there to give him a chance. The Broncos have to be pretty demoralized they lost that game.
1: Yeah, it has to be. Look, there's the overreaction elements, and you even mentioned this in your piece that we're going to talk about today, the Packers in week one last year, which we talked about on the show in the last, you know, on Monday when we did the recap. It could be a case that things didn't click for the Broncos and certain things. Like they, they fumbled at basically going in for touchdowns on two separate occasions. It just there's a couple of things went wrong, but they were really disjointed in certain areas of the game. And Russell Wilson heading back into Seattle, that cannot have been his kind of priority game plan was to, to come up short in that situation obviously the situation around going for the field goal in the scenario that they did i don't know if you've seen the manning cast clip but when peyton manning eli manning are talking to uh you know their guests in that situation they're talking about like it has to be a timeout has to be a timeout they run down the clock give themselves 20 seconds then they decide to go for the field goal which seems to be very demoralizing i would imagine if you're a broncos fan and then in that situation after nathaniel hackett said that he felt more comfortable about getting the field goal from, I believe it was 64 yards at the time, which would be the second longest in NFL history than getting the the five yards for the first down. So you pay Russell Wilson all that money and you, that's what, you know, we're back into the <laughs> analytics debate and we had seen obviously Hackett with Green Bay for the last couple of years, did a phenomenal job with Aaron Rodgers and, and how their offense worked. But yeah, sometimes when player or when, you know, assistant coaches or coordinators go into head coaching roles that can, be a challenge for them to get things right in those early stages but Sean we are going to jump in to the running back element Javante Williams did look pretty good in that game I thought so did Melvin Garden and the, the opportunities he got but we are going to start off here talking about a guy that we don't often talk about not as Leonard Fournette we do talk about him but wasn't a priority target for us but heading into this particular contest in a game where the Cowboys kind of really disappointed with their showing but also Dak Prescott got injured he did have 21 rush attempts for 127 yards and this had just the two targets for two receptions overall a pretty if, if if you drafted Leonard Fournette I think you have to be pretty happy with how the the workload went in this how did you feel the the backfield split between him and White looked in this and you know Giovanni Bernard not involved at all in this situation
2: yeah if you have Fournette right now uh, you've got to be very excited he probably should have been not a one-two turn back, but he's someone who very similar to Joe Mixon, perhaps even Joe Mixon plus. Now, neither one of those guys were priority targets for net, even at the discount that he represented to some of those other profiles. Some of that is the off the field stuff. Some of that is the uncertainty with Tampa. Some of it is a back who is no longer a spring chicken, even though, I mean, Leonard Fournette is not old and some of it is having rashad white a big time talent right behind him i I still think this could very easily work out for white we have him on a lot of teams because he looks like a player who if things break in the right way would be an absolute league winner you can't say that for all of the handcuffs or the handcuffs with a little bit of standalone which is what you're hoping for white he played some in this game a little bit of that probably has to do with the fact that the cowboys were so terrible the rushing success that fournette has and talk about it here a little bit in the article very few 100 yard rushing games he's not someone who averages six yards a carry like he did in that game hardly ever the Dallas Cowboys are probably going to just be a terrible football team. And we may find out that a lot of the stuff that happened in that first game is a little bit of a mirage. But you control the game like this. He gets all those rushing attempts. He gets the good yardage numbers. They don't need to throw the ball to him. But when they get in games that they have a little bit more of a pass, heavy, a catch-up game script, a dump off to 4 net type of environment, The fact that Chris Godwin is already hurt again. I guess I didn't understand what the Buccaneers were doing there. You've got a player desperately trying to come back from a serious injury. We just talked about James Robinson and the Jaguars. So obviously what they were hoping for was a similar type of dynamic. Godwin did look pretty good early, caught some passes, pulled his hamstring. Maybe it's completely unrelated, but also Russell Gage did not play a lot, did not look dynamic. You have the underneath guys that Fournette would be competing with for targets, maybe not up to where they need to be. Whereas Mike Evans, he scores that touchdown late after not being hugely involved in the game. You have Julio Jones with the big speed edge on Evans. He looked to be getting open a lot more easily. Not all of the connections made there, but I think that that benefits Fournette. I still would like to be on the backs who are a little bit more exciting. I would still like to be on Javante Williams, who I ranked number seven without having seen the game last night. My note on him was that sometimes you move up by not having played yet. And then in the game last night, even though he shared a lot more touches with Melvin Gordon than his drafters were hoping, but to be so involved in the passing game and to be so dynamic in the passing game, that's one of the things with Williams where if Melvin Gordon goes away and this offense figures it out a little bit, you're suddenly talking about Javante Williams up in that Saquon Barkley category, still a threat to be a top five pick in the 2023 draft. So, Colin, just to kind of recap some of these backs at the bottom of the top 10, Derrick Henry falls from that 5 6 range to number 10. Joe Mixon, who <laughs> had 36 opportunities in week one for the Bengals, jumps to number nine. Leonard Fournette, eight, and Javante Williams, seven
1: big takeaway for me with Williams was the targets that he got in this particular game he had 12 targets 11 receptions for 65 yards had 86 percent of the backfield targets with Melvin Garden obviously so 86 percent of those pass attempts going his way which I don't think we were anticipating as much work in the receiving game for him particularly this early. so it'll be interesting to see if that is a, a trend that does move on to continue here but he did look he looked, he looked pretty impressive in the opportunities he had. Um, we might get Sean's thoughts on it later in the week, but just the seven rush attempts coming his way. But yeah, the, the goal line fumbles, the way off the, the Denver Broncos running backs was was not, I'm sure, pleasing for, for Denver Broncos fans watching in. Sean, moving on, I'm going to jump ahead here because we didn't talk about a couple of games in the Monday recap, but we are going to touch on them now based on the order of the running backs. So we'll go through the list a little bit after this, but we have – christian mccaffrey who i'm sure people are eager to hear about we also have jonathan taylor christian mccaffrey is number two jonathan taylor is number one christian mccaffrey this week had just the 10 rush attempts just the four targets so 14 opportunities coming his way interested to see if you have concerns over that and then we'll hold off because we'll we'll talk about jonathan taylor who we've touched on barkley and we've touched on uh swift earlier this week and they were just absolutely mesmerizing to watch Jonathan Taylor's in that category as well. So we we'll just get your thoughts first on McCaffrey side of thing and, and have you concerns with how that is playing out so far.
2: Yeah. Well, Colin, what's your take on that? What are you seeing in terms of the reaction? I moved him from a virtual dead heat with Taylor to a clear cut two and sort of holding on to, to you know bias fingernails with Barkley in three after having watched the game this morning I just think you have to move Barkley ahead of it now again we one of the fun things about the instant reaction pod was kind of going through the tendency to overreact to week one but also the tendency to underreact to week one and that both of them can be traps I think that this Carolina Panthers offense will get better but when you Think about a couple of the quarterbacks who are somewhat controversial in terms of what their actual talent level is, how people should view them in 2022. You really have Carson Wentz, a player that we are very low on. He made Carson Wentz mistakes. He throws some bad interceptions. He throws some inaccurate passes. A lot of times when he's out there, he just looks like he has no sense of what's going on but he also made a lot of plays, right? And you've got to give him credit for that. You've also got to give the Washington coaching staff credit for getting Curtis Samuel involved in such a dynamic way. We look at what Debo Samuel does and and Curtis Samuel was the better Samuel in week one in terms of those elements. Now, he wasn't playing in the same environment. It's certainly not to say that Curtis Samuel is suddenly the better player or the better fantasy value at this point. But,
1: and
2: and if you have Terry McLaurin or you have Jahan Dotson, you see those big plays that those guys made and you're trying to figure out where they were the whole game. It's the flip side of it is why is Curtis Samuel? Why is Antonio Gibson? Why are those guys catching all the passes when you have these vertical weapons? You have these potentially elite wide receivers. One of the reasons that Terry McLaurin was about three rounds below his ADP in my rankings is that. I expected it to play out like this. I don't think that Carson Wentz is the type of quarterback who can unlock him. But maybe we're going to have a lot more throws like the touchdown throw, which was a gorgeous throw. Deep pass threads it in between two defenders in a huge moment. The second touchdown to Jahan Dotson was one of the greatest catches you'll ever see by a wide receiver. That's not even a good pass. But at least he threw it up there and gave the receiver a chance, right? The flip side of it is that Baker Mayfield goes into Carolina in game one, plays his old team. And he looked like the guy who last year was blaming it on injuries. He looked like the guy who in week 17 last year was just throwing into the offensive line over and over.
1: Not impressed.
2: I wasn't impressed. And especially you watch Jarvis Landry have his huge game with Jameis Winston, who other than like those couple of passes, and the late touchdown to Michael Thomas. I mean, Jameis Winston did not look like he should be in the NFL as well. The Saints have huge problems, I would say. It's one of the reasons that Alvin Kamara actually dropped out of the rankings. And again, I don't think that's an overreaction. I think it's where you have to have him, based on the profile last year, which was far too run-heavy, to do what he needs to do from an overall profile perspective to justify a price or a ranking in that range. Right. You have that profile from last year. You have the tragic game in week one. He can't be in your top 10 right now. I think you have to have some concerns about McCaffrey. One of the weird things about this game, you don't want the back to be overworked. We talk sometimes about the situation with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And especially when. Things are kind of firing on all cylinders. You have Hunt come in there, take some of the touches, in some cases take some of the low-value touches, especially if the guy comes in and takes the low-value touches, then that's perfect. For the Cleveland Browns and for Nick Chubb, unfortunately in week one, Hunt was taking a lot of the high-value touches and also made some big plays, which kept Chubb from getting the scores that maybe he needed. You look at what happened with James Robinson and you're like, yeah, I mean, that's not great for ETN. He just is like the number one guy there. So that's not a committee where you're like, okay, it's just, it's just low-value touches. With the Panthers, the touches that McCaffrey gave up were low-value touches, but he just didn't... He, he wasn't involved in the game because they kept taking him out, and he wasn't involved as a receiver. To, to be trailing in a, the entire game and for him not to be involved as a receiver, that part is unfathomable, right? You have Christian McCaffrey, and you're not using him. And it's a situation where you're like, well, if DJ Moore is dominating in the secondary and you're moving the ball at will and you don't need to run all of these routes for McCaffrey, that's one thing. And that would be an explanation after the game that would be frustrating if you're starting McCaffrey, but at least would make sense. That wasn't the case at all. DJ Moore was so covered up in... Mayfield had such a hard time getting him the ball that they had to resort to handing off to DJ Moore. I mean, this was a horrible, horrible game for the Carolina Panthers. And I mean, Baker Mayfield just does not look like a starting quarterback. The one pass that he can throw is that deep ball down the middle. They were able to get Robbie Anderson open for the 75-yard touchdown. Obviously that bolstered his fantasy performance. It gave them a great chance to win. It's the young kicker there for the Browns who was the hero in this game. And that guy looks like he could be a star on the Justin Tucker, Evan McPherson level. But this was one of the worst football games I've seen in a long time, even when you adjust for it being week one. There have been some games in the past. There was a hilarious uh, Jets-Dolphins game, I believe from five, six years ago in the rain that still kind of (laughs) resonates or bounces around back in the cobwebby corners of the brain as one of the worst games I've ever seen. Jacoby Brissett and Baker Mayfield set the NFL back like 50 years with this performance at the fact that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can do what they do within the context of that passing offense and again you know we're right on players all the time we're wrong on players all the time we're also and we talked about the overrate and underreaction in week one a lot of it is going to depend on how you saw the situation going into the season whether or not You think, oh, just be patient. Or you think, yeah, I was right on that. People were joking with me about my Amari Cooper rankings at different points because I had him like five rounds below ADP. I mean, can you even – if you had a draft today, would Amari Cooper go in the first 20 rounds? The Browns-Panthers game was was awful. I just – even when you know kind of what happened going in, It's astonishing to watch that game and think that NFL teams were playing that
0: game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just
1: choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, so I think you you asked the question, I'll go back and answer the Christian McCaffrey question at the end, but you covered everything I was going to say about the game. This was a really ugly game unless you're watching it for the purposes of seeing exactly what happens or to try and track the game for statistical analysis or something like that don't go out of your way to search for this game this is not one to to go back on game pass and, and try and watch the whole thing this was ugly throughout you had on the the positive points for the browns which were both running backs were very very efficient in this game baker mayfield is not A good quarterback if you're trying to watch good quarterbacking, uh, 59% completion in this game and had four fumbles. One of Christian McCaffrey's most impressive plays in this game came on a Baker Mayfield fumble from a snap that then McCaffrey picked up. And it wasn't a case of like what's going to happen or do I make the decision to pick it up? It was just I need to pick this up because this other guy is not a good footballer. And he that was probably the most impressive play I thought from McCaffrey on the day. He did have some of that explosiveness back in his cuts. We talked about this when we were talking about the likes of um, Saquon Barkley and how explosive he looked. I, th- I thought McCaffrey looked pretty good from that health perspective and, and what we were expecting, but a bad performance from, performance from Baker Mayfield. The big problem here as well is if you have the Panthers' offense and you have somebody like Christian McCaffrey as a possible option, and then you only give him 14 attempts on the day, so 14 opportunities based on what we're we're trying to get out of him here, it is not good. He did have 100 of the backfield target share but that was not enough targets to be given to somebody of the quality of Christian McCaffrey. It was four targets. It was a case that it felt like they were trying to hide Baker Mayfield, but not hide him enough. I think that they need to work on getting the ball out of his hands to McCaffrey in both the passing game and then handing it off to him more in the rushing game. He was in there for 81% of the snaps on offense, which also is not a bad sign for Christian McCaffrey being in there, but just they did not work him at all. The other thing with this game is just, you know, the overall offense opportunities that the team got. It was only 50 plays, I believe, that the, um, the Panthers ran in this. So it's just not going to get the job done if you're in there with Baker Mayfield. And I think my hope is that they watch back this game tape and realize that they have to get Christian McCaffrey more heavily involved. 14 opportunities for somebody of that quality is just not going to get it done on it. Like we talked about Austin Eckler not getting enough work in, in the Chargers game hit four more opportunities than that than that we get for Christian McCaffrey here. So if you drafted Christian McCaffrey at the 101 or the 102, this game here is one that you hope that you do not see replicated for the rest of the season. Because if we see something like this in week two, those Christian McCaffrey shares are in in big, big trouble. So McCaffrey still falls in, Sean, at number two. But you mentioned that it is a case that you think that – and I really feel this. And I I talked about this maybe two or three weeks ago, saying that Swift and Barkley I thought should be the next running backs off the board – After Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor, but at this point they are really, if not surpassed him at this point, are really nipping at his heels. We talk about the workload that like DeAndre Swift got, he only had 18 opportunities and he's also playing for the Detroit Lions. And what he was able to create versus what Christian McCaffrey was able to create with those opportunities was drastically different. So those guys are really on their tails, but the player Sean that still leads the way at that position is jonathan taylor now he got 31 opportunities for on the ground he got seven targets so he gets 38 total opportunities so maybe he's not going to get that every week i was pleased to see the targets that he was getting but he only got 14 yards off those off those particular targets which is something that we want to see more of but he did have 161 rushing yards and overall everything he does that we talked about last year he was doing again the problem for him is that he is Matt Ryan in this offense, and Matt Ryan did not look a lot better than Baker Mayfield. He looked uh, maybe a slight bit better, but you know, there's a lot of talk this week about Matt Ryan and how he can support this offense. But if you give him the amount of dropbacks that he had in this game and how much they struggled to actually put up points, and most of that is done through Jonathan Taylor, um, I would have some concerns about about that quarterback in play as well. But Jonathan Taylor leads the way for you, Sean, and it sounds like there was never a, a second of doubt that that would continue.
2: No, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is too good. The Colts need him too much. I think a lot of us were hoping that Matt Ryan could at least be this small upgrade. Now, one of the reasons that we have been so on the Falcons players is that we actually see Marcus Mariota as being an upgrade and perhaps a significant upgrade on Matt Ryan there in Atlanta. It looks now, especially when you see what Carson Wentz did, and again, he made plenty of Carson Wentz types of mistakes, but he moved their offense, which, especially from a fantasy perspective, you really emphasize. From a reality perspective, some of those backbreaking turnovers are a big problem as well. But Matt Ryan, I mean, he is there are so many different signs that he's done, and. You do get the big game here for Michael Pittman. You get the situation where they claw back and are able to force the tie. But this is a tie against one of the worst teams in football in all likelihood. This is a game that you need to win in the way that the Chiefs beat the Arizona Cardinals, in the way that the Bills beat the Los Angeles Rams, actual good teams, right? If you're the Indianapolis Colts, you have to beat the Houston Texans to that extent. It can't be a situation where it's a desperation to get back and just force This tie, Taylor is so good. And one of the themes for that third year with running backs of that template is that they tend to take a step forward in the receiving game. And then once they have that, they're absolute world breakers. The problem here, as you mentioned, is just the 14 yards on those seven targets. The problem with Taylor, if he can't demonstrate the efficiency as a receiver as they do have Hines one of the best receiving backs in football that's always been kind of the fly in the ointment for Taylor to move up into this EP profile that makes him you know 25 26 27 point per game superstar if you put it all on the running then you know you have to have a season somewhat like Derrick Henry was having last year before the injury it's just so difficult to do it looks like after one week that the stars for Indianapolis are going to have to carry them. Colin, what do you think about the peripheral pieces of this offense? What do you think about Paris Campbell, Alec Pierce, Hines? Are these guys going to cut into the workload for Taylor and Pittman? Or are we going to have such a concentrated offense here in Indianapolis that, number one, Taylor justifies his draft slot, which did hang on in almost all formats as the 101 Christian McCaffrey making a, a huge push in drafts over the last week, the last couple of weeks, very frequently going number one. We saw Justin, uh, Jonathan Taylor go number four in some drafts. That would seem absurd, except the other players going ahead of him there are Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. I don't think anybody can argue against that. One of the issues for Christian McCaffrey when we talk about his first game, it's not just you know can he hold off Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, maybe some other risers to be the number two back. But right now, if you pass on Jonathan Taylor for Christian McCaffrey, you might not even be regretting that. You might be regretting the fact that you didn't pick wide receivers, because I mean, those guys look like they could be for their te- for their reality teams and then also for their fantasy teams. What Antonio Brown was during that stretch, if you have that foundation player at receiver, there are so many other things that you can do around that. Probably the the biggest theme of week one has really been the first round wide receivers have created a foundation now for some zero RB teams to really dominate in 2022. You look at Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase with the big game, even though he doesn't get that one touchdown. Stephon Diggs, who looked like maybe he should have been the second or third receiver off the board after Thursday night, that kind of drops back into the periphery after we see what Devonte Adams has done. Those guys look like they are smash picks in round one. And again, it's only one week and yet there's absolutely nothing about what these players have done that is outside of the profile that they've established outside the talent level that we know they have and outside of the thesis that you would have used to draft each of them in the first place. These guys came into the year as absolute stars with the possibility to ascend. If you're looking at Jefferson, you're looking at chase and then for Cooper Cupp and Devante Adams to re-establish themselves at that target level right off the bat cup in a little bit different environment now with alan robinson there obviously Devonte adams on a completely new team i i don't think that what happened in week one is fluky is it a ceiling result yes but is it the kind of result that firmly establishes them in this group that are going to be foundation players and likely league winners I, i'm not sure you can look at it any other way
1: Yeah, I think if you have those particular guys that you mentioned, those 0RB teams could be set up to be absolute juggernauts. There's then the group of 0RB teams, you know, if you have T. Higgins, for example, got a concussion, hopefully he'll be healthy and back this coming week, for example. But then if you have DJ Moore maybe in those, it depends on the combination of players you have together. But I do think that those players throughout the season will have that production as well to give you those points. So I think for a lot of drafters who went 0RB, there could be a situation where they're sitting after week one being like, this did not go well. I, I mentioned on the recap show, my week was was pretty epically bad in terms of historic <laughs> single weeks of results. But in terms of the rest of the season, I'm still very optimistic for that to work out. So there may be some of our listeners out there that don't have those exact combinations and might have found week one tough. But I think we're, we're setting up for the elite wide receivers to, to really continue to dominate. And I'm hoping that as they dominate, other teams look to follow that lead. You mentioned the... Indianapolis and what my thoughts were on them I, I did think Naheem Hines did exactly what we thought Naheem Hines would do and that was he got six targets six receptions 50 yards he's getting that passing game work which meant that he did have that split with Jonathan Taylor he didn't get a huge amount in the rushing game with 31 rush attempts for Jonathan Taylor and you may be thinking maybe they don't want to give him 31 there was just three rush attempts in this one for Naheem Hines for four yards but Hines overall looked good you mentioned Alec Pierce had a real bad drop for a, a touchdown would have been a pretty pretty easy catch for a touchdown I thought overall. Um he dropped that so he finishes the day with zero points overall. And then you also mentioned Paris Campbell. I think that's still going to take a little bit of time for him to work out. But I think Pittman is obviously the the other kind of key piece of this offense and he was going relatively early in drafts this year. He looked pretty pretty good here set some career highs across the board. But I also think that we have to temper some expectations as to what happened because I mentioned the dropbacks from Matt Ryan. He did throw the ball 50 times in this game. So the nine receptions for Pittman may not be a know an every week case, I'm sure they want to limit what Matt Ryan is going to do on a weekly basis to probably between 30 to 35 throws. So that's going to limit the targets to go around. Sean, you've said about Matt Ryan's arm being pretty dead um, for the last season or two. If he's throwing that 50 times a week, it's it's not going to get any more active. So we'll see what, what happens there. But before we close it out, we did mention the, the list. So it was Henry, Mixon, Fournette, Javante Williams, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor. I think it's fair to say out of that list, Taylor, Barkley, and Swift are who we're most excited about after the week one performances. The falling players, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, then we had Najee Harris. Harris obviously picked up a bit of an injury. The 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 X-rays and that have come back to be you know a positive outcome from him from an injury perspective. We also Ronald Jones or Aaron Jones is on that. I may have said Ronald Jones when I mentioned it first, but he's just buried into my mind at this point. Aaron Jones, just the 10 opportunities for him in this game, he was kind of outworked in terms of the opportunities by A.J. Dillon. Then we have in the rising section Clyde Edwards Alaire, Kareem Hunt, who you touched on already, Cordero Patterson, who got a huge amount of work in that Falcons game and then Antonio Gibson who I thought looked pretty pretty damn good in the the, that Washington Commanders game. Out of those guys we won't dive into them all but is there one or two that you want to highlight specifically? It'll be interesting
2: to see what Cordero Patterson can do in that Atlanta offense. I think one of the frustrations in week one was that they didn't completely unleash Marcus Mariota after the good start. They got conservative. They let the saints back into that game. Patterson averaged 15.3 opportunities over the first 14 weeks of last season that dropped below 10 over the last month. He had 27 ops in the first game here in part because Damian Williams misses a big chunk of the game. I would love to see Travis Algier play. I think that he is, kind of the running mate with Patterson that makes the most sense, that gives him the most upside. One of the things that was a very clear theme of week one is that rookies played sparingly and played generally poorly. We know that a lot of these guys who were inactive will be active in the short term. And as their teams kind of evolve to incorporate them in, that'll be kind of the next step in terms of, what we're seeing here. I think that Patterson, though, is, is shown up in the short term to be someone who outscores ADP. You have CEH, you also have Pacheco who scores, and that game looks pretty decent. We didn't get the struggles that would have put Rojo back into the mix. Edwards Alero is interesting. This has always been the reason why people were interested in him. We kind of saw what the Chiefs wanted him to do. We touched on this in the instant reaction show column, but the Chiefs looked better than last season it looked like this could be the best offense that they've had it's going to be almost impossible to defend the running backs if the passing game is firing on all cylinders the way that it was let me throw out just a, a hypothetical for you you have that first game from etn where he misses a couple of touchdowns you have this game from edwards lair you have tony pollard cutting into the snap share from ezekiel Elliott, but now being in this terrible dallas offense blair and i got an interesting trade offer for our dynasty team in the really cool rv triflex format over at the ffpc we received an offer of ch and pollard and a third round pick for travis etn obviously trying to blow us away with volume there what we what can do with that trade offer i you know i'm not a big believer in CEH, I think that Pollard has been overdrafted this year, even though in a vacuum he's a player I like. We talk about stockpiling those future picks. James Robinson was so good. When Blair mentioned this to me, he said, Well, you mentioned in your article, don't underreact to week one but this seems too far in the other direction. Would you consider that offer, C.H. Pollard, and a third-round pick for Travis Etienne? I think it's very interesting.
1: I think part of it's going to be baked into week one, but there can be overreactions in week one based on like what we thought and what we expect to happen. And none of the range of outcomes that I think that we were going to see James Robinson look as good as he did and to be as active in that game as he did. So I don't think there's any way that he's going away this season. So it's one of those cases is I think the best player in this is ETN, but the overall package that's been provided I think is is pretty fair. The other thing is Tony Pollard is likely going to have either no Ezekiel Elliott in front of him next year or may move in free agency. So I think that it becomes very interesting, particularly as well seeing what happened with Edwards Allaire in week one. But it's one of those cases where the, the best player in the trade is ETN, but it's pretty balanced overall. I... How's the rest
2: of that roster, Sean? How's those running backs looking? Well, one of the reasons I think we were offered those two players is we had to take a zero at our second running back spot in week one. This not was <laughs> this was actually one of a couple teams where I took zeros in week one because J.K. Dobbins is the other star back there. And then we have some zero RB types of guys who we're not going to factor into the first week. It's a team that's loaded at the other positions, obviously has great depth at receiver and tight end. It's built around this idea of evolving throughout the course of the year. I, As bad as the running backs looked for the Ravens, I do think that there is going to be a little bit of an instinct to bring Dobbins back early, but maybe, maybe not. And hopefully it won't be early. Hopefully he's just ready. I do think that in the second half of the season, J.K. Dobbins, you, you look at that list that we went over today, right? And you have... Guys like Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, even Dalvin Cook, a player we didn't talk about, but for whom there are some issues. You have somebody in Javante Williams who's in more of a timeshare. You mentioned that he didn't run the ball much in week one. Also, the the Broncos offense, very disappointing. I don't think that's going to continue, but there are at least some small risks there. I guess I don't... And this is the reason why we've, we've drafted him that he was inactive in week one in what supposedly was a close call. I don't think that was a surprise. That's definitely the way that it was trending over the last 10 days to maybe even three weeks. It sounds like it was close. It sounds like he thinks that he can play. He's been doing some practicing. I'm still in. I'm still all in. I, I think that JK Dobbins could find his way to fifth or sixth in the running back rankings by the time we're, at mid-season so and you, you also mentioned um earlier the
1: opportunities that etn had to potentially have a very very different looking day with a couple of better passes going his way so in a situation like that i would be i, I think i would still be holding on to, to etn based on what we've seen in week one because there was enough signs there that they were going to use him in the passing game and things like that so i would be holding but i'm sure there would be other people who may be panicking to get out but I think we're still in a in a good spot yet. You know, it, it, it actually surprised me again when during that game, they said, that it, you know what, everything he did, they were saying was his first NFL game, forced NFL catch, forced, you know, you, you forget that he missed the entirety of last season with that
2: injury as well. So he is still basically a rookie at this point. Yeah, it, that's definitely true. And you've got to give him a little bit of a break and you've got to give Trevor Lawrence a little bit of a break, who still is in the developmental process. He is very there. erratic though. He did not look good. I, I was hoping that he would look better. The thing with Trevor Lawrence is that you get quick decisions. I don't know if they're always good decisions, but he's not <laughs> someone who's standing back there and looks like, you know, what am I going to do? And can I make the pass? I mean, some of the quarterbacks stand back and you can just they see They don't the want to get sacked. Well.
1: They don't want to throw the ball. They're like, just take me down to the ground gently, please.
2: <laughs> you, you do have a little bit of that vibe. But you can see that the players are not – Open in a way that they can make the throw. Right. That's never an issue for Justin Herbert, who can make any throw. It's never the issue for Patrick Mahomes, who can make any throw. It's not the issue for Trevor Lawrence, who has the arm talent to make the throws. That ball gets out of there fast and it gets out of there with velocity. It doesn't get out there very accurately, though. I and mean, that's the big difference. And I, and that was the thing kind of coming in with Justin Herbert that people were concerned about. I don't think it was a big concern for Lawrence. But he, he just does not put the ball where it needs to be, or he hasn't yet. So we'll see if once he gets a chance in this offense, do things get better, right? Because we're so quick to judge on all of these elements. When we talk about overreactions, underreactions... I don't think that a lot of the reactions to week one are necessarily overreactions because the information that we got is important, but especially for the young players who are going to develop. You you have to understand that where they are today is not where they're going to be a month from now. I I think that the tendency to say don't overreact is based on the idea that you get a very wide range of outcomes in an NFL game. You have – a ton of different game scripts you have a lot of fluky plays that influence what happens and so you want to understand that and realize that next week could be different but the other thing that's very important and this is one of the reasons why we draft very young teams is you have to understand that the teams themselves are going to grow they're going to change and that's doubly true for all the young players hopefully this Jaguars team gets better I'm still suspicious of the commanders. I I wouldn't be surprised if these turn out to be two of the five worst teams in football. And then in part, this fun game that they played in week one is more or less just a a symptom of weaknesses that both of the teams have overall. But there was a striking difference between two bad teams in that game versus again, the two bad teams in the Panthers Browns game. I think you've got to be optimistic there. But Colin, the ETN development for me is probably one of the elements of week one that not only is very disappointing, but I think actually is a concern to where when you have an offense that maybe won't be that great, when you have a quarterback who maybe isn't that accurate and you're trying to catch a lot of passes from him, including passes down the field. I mean, ETN, the, the touchdown pass he could have had that was overthrown is you know, a wide receiver-ish type of route, or at least one of the running back routes that the guys who can get downfield will run. You've got to be able to execute some of those. You mentioned that ETM playing his first NFL game is a rookie, but one of the issues there is that he entered the NFL late, so he was already old. He misses a year. Yeah, you still end up in your first NFL game, but the clock doesn't necessarily stop being injured is never a good thing in terms of how your body is developing. When ETN from a dynasty perspective is going to be in that range where now it's hard to trade him much sooner than other players with his same level of experience. And so you have to factor that in as well when you're looking at possible trade offers that come your way with him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that was a, a very fun conversation, Sean, as we run through all the running backs that, Kind of had a impact by draft position, I guess, at you know, a, a week ago at this point. Um, really enjoyed running through them all with you. Hopefully, the listeners have enjoyed it as well. I will be linking this in today's show notes. If you want to check out the full article, you can do so up at rotaviz.com. If you're signing up for a roteviz NFL pass, you can use the promo code radio 2022 at checkout. That will save you 10%, get you access to all of our content and tools, also help support the podcast network. For people who haven't subscribed to the Road his YouTube channel yet, if you want, you can check out this video if you've been listening along, because you'll probably have noticed uh, if you are watching the video that I have frozen it multiple times. I seem to have been frozen for the last five or six minutes in terms of my picture, so some funny faces maybe that, that people will be able to see across the way, but mm-hmm. check out the road of his youtube channel as well as we close in on 2,000 subscribers over there i do want to give a note and we will touch on this a little bit more in depth i think on an upcoming episode but thanks to everyone who has consumed the road of his radio podcast content in any way whether that is road of his overtime stadium bananas on youtube on you know your favorite podcast app whatever way it is we have had a record break in pretty much summer but the last month has been absolutely incredible so we thank everyone for their support i'll probably give a a more in-depth analysis of it on an upcoming show but thank you to everyone who has supported in any way that is going to do it for today's episode of the show my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter add over to marland and check out all of sean's work up on rotovids.com until we're back with another show have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotovis Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotovis Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Road Radio homepage, rotovis.com forward slash podcast.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.